you have a Bible, open to the book of James. James chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to continue in a series that we're calling Keep It Real. And really the point of James' uh, correspondence to the church is he's really challenging us that if we say one thing about our faith or our religion, he calls it, if, if we say one thing about our faith, then our life should look a certain way. It's not enough to just say uh, that we believe a certain thing or believe that we follow Jesus, say that we follow Jesus and not live like it. In fact, um, in James chapter 1, uh, the end of the end of chapter 1, which is where we were last week, um, 26 and 27, listen to what James says here. He's, he says, um, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then he defines religion, religion that's pure and undefiled before God. In other words, this is what's acceptable. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained for the world. So he, he's saying, look, if you say you are religious, but you don't watch what you say, you're lying to yourself. You deceive yourself. And James, right there in, in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he gives us kind of this measurement tool for our faith, for our, for our following of, of Jesus. He says, look, if you want to know if your religion is working, if you have a faith that works, a real faith, you can measure that by the way that you talk, by how you treat the poor, and then how you treat the world. He says, keep yourself unstained from the world. So if you, if you are keeping yourself unstained from the, from the world, those are the three ways that you, measure, that you measure yourself. So let me pray real quick, and then we'll get into chapter, we'll get into chapter three tonight. God, we love you. God, um, everything we've sang about you tonight and to you is absolutely true. Um, God, we ask now that as we open your word, um, God, that your truth would be freedom to us. Um, and God, this, we gather from this passage and really from the whole of Scripture, God, just how important it is, um, our speech with one another, God, our speech um, to the world. And so, God, I just pray tonight, uh, God, that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed, but God, that you would bring um, to us a, a kindness, your kindness, God, that would lead us to repentance in this. And God, I just pray most of all that I would be a person, um, God, whose mouth and lips, God, honor you, um, God, and that the whole of my life would follow that. And God, would we be a community that looks like that as well? Jesus, we, um, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3, look at verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So the whole passage um, that we're going to look at tonight, verse 1 through 12, is about the tongue, how you speak. But James doesn't start there because he says, look, not many of you should be teachers. And here's why. Because he says teachers are being someone who stands up in front of a group um, and proclaims the word of God. He said that's a very dangerous thing for two reasons. First, because we all know that teachers will receive a greater judgment, that they're going to be judged with more strictness, James says. And James is getting this information from his brother, Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to this group of people, and he's talking about kind of the end of days and um, where God will come back and judge his people, and Jesus is using this story. And he says it's kind of like when a master who's away on a trip comes back, and he finds his servants. He's like, when he finds his servants when he comes back, what they should be doing is they should be working. They should be, they should be diligent. And so he's saying when, when God comes back, the people who belong to him, they should be doing his will. And Peter kind of speaks up in the middle of the story, and he's like, 
does this story apply to everyone? And Jesus says, actually, Peter, now that you mention it, the head servant or the guy who oversees the other servants, um, that guy should be even more on it. He, he says if that guy only messes up a little bit, he gets a smaller beating. But if he messes up more, he gets a bigger beating. And then Jesus kind of ends the sermon. It's actually kind of awkward, but it's a, it's a terrific little section of Scripture. But he ends the whole thing by saying, to everyone who much has been given, much will be required. Right? If you're Spider-Man, you say, with great power comes great responsibility. That's just me. Freddie's not here tonight? No? Okay. Um, it is sad. <laughs> it is sad. Um, so, so you've probably heard that before. To whom much is given, much will be required. For him who was entrusted with much, he says, there will be demanded even more. Now, that's kind of an odd story for us to hear. It's, it's weird to, to hear about Jesus kind of handing out beatings. But what he's talking about, he's saying, look, if you've been given greater access to his word and you've been given platform to influence others, he says, I'm expecting more out of you. And it totally makes sense. If you're, if you're a boss or if you are run an organization, you run a company, and there's something that's going wrong with that business or that company, the person that you're going to go to is you're going to be, you're, you're going to look to the manager. And so he says, look, if you're someone who's leading my people and there's something that's going wrong, I'm looking to you. And so James says, look, you got to know that if you want to be a teacher, that God is going to judge you more than anyone else. And, and he's not talking about a loss of salvation. He's talking about very similar to what Paul says to the, to the Corinthians. He's like, look, believers, you're going to be judged by the way that you live. And, and this might not seem very interesting to you, but back in this day, when James is talking to his audience, um, to be a teacher, that was, that was a high position. That was a position that a lot of people would esteem to be to. That was something where you'd get, you'd had a lot of influence. There was often a lot of popularity that was associated with it. There was a, it was a position of honor and credibility in the community. So a lot of people were very interested in that role of teacher. And, and James is addressing this because he knew that a lot of people wanted that position because they wanted the attention, they wanted the glory. And so James just says, look, you got to slow down because you need to understand that God is going to come after you. And so if, if that's you, and this might apply to a very, very small segment of you, I understand. But if that is you, if you aspire, like, you know, I, I think I'd like to teach the Bible. I, maybe I'd even like to be a pastor or whatever that is. Be humble, be fearful of God, tremble at his word, and legitimately love his people, or you have no business being in front of people. That's what James is saying. That's what the scripture says. And beg God to keep you off the stage if you don't have those three things. A fear of reverence of him, trembling at his word, genuine love for his people, if you just want to be on like a stage somewhere, like at a church or whatever, because you think, man, that would, be, that would make me feel awesome, just thank God that he keeps you far from it. Because what James is saying is, like, look, if that's you, if you have pride associated with that, if you have pride going into that, you will weep later. Okay, so the first point tonight is that if you're an arrogant leader of God's people, that Jesus will beat you. Two, um, he says, and, and this, now we get into the section on the tongue. Uh, two, he says, it's dangerous to be a teacher because the teacher has to teach. And to teach, you have to use your mouth. You have to speak. And James says, you're going to stand in front of people and you're going to use the most dangerous organ in your whole body. Because verse 2, look at verse 2, what, what James says. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So James says something that we all know. We all know, everybody here in this room, you, you cannot be a Christian, you cannot be a Bible person, you cannot be a Jesus person, but you know this. You know something about yourself. You stumble. 
And, and some of you, you're self-aware enough to know, like, I stumble in, in many ways, right? We all fail. We all fail in a variety of ways. And the way that I fail might not always be the way that you fail. Um, and the way that you fail might not always be the way that I fail. But there's things like pride. There's things like lust. There's things like the way we spend money. And there's things like anger. There's things like gossip and slander. We all, we all, we all struggle. We, all, we might not all struggle with the same things, but we all struggle. We stumble in many ways, James says. But he says, if there's somebody who doesn't stumble in his words, who's not offensive in his speech, he's a perfect man, one, and he's able to bridle or control his whole body. Very interesting. So James is saying, look, nobody is perfect. Everybody messes up. So if that's you, you're among good company because you're with everybody. But if you can locate a human that does not stumble in what he says, James says, you found a perfect guy who can control his entire body. So there's two things, two very important principles we're going to pull out from, from, the, from what James is saying there. He's saying, one, the tongue has more power than any other organ in your body. And I'm going to we'll prove that through the text tonight. And then two, the tongue is extremely difficult to control. So one, it's super powerful. Two, it's extremely difficult to control. That's the thesis that James is going to be working off of this section. And he's going to prove it with a bunch of illustrations. And, and if you wanted to boil it down, what James is trying to teach us is that the little can lead the big. The, the, this little memory, he's going to call it in the middle, can, can cause huge, huge issues. Look at, look at verse 3 and 4. These are some of the illustrations that he uses. Verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses... So that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And in verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he starts with the horse, right? Horse, huge animal. He says, we put a bit, the small little piece of metal in their mouth. And with that small little piece of metal, we can guide this huge animal's body. What he's saying is if you can keep control of your tongue, you can control anything else in your body. And he says it again about a, about a ship, right? So huge, massive ships. They're so large, driven by strong winds, but they are guarded by a very small rudder. Big boats in tough conditions can be bent to the will of a single man if you have control of the rudder. The little controls the big. So he's saying, look, if you can get control of your mouth, you can control the rest of your life. That's a huge principle. If you can get control of your mouth, you can get control of the rest of your life because the tongue is very, very powerful. Now, if you have a hard time believing this, let me, let me kind of illustrate this. So because there have been words, there have been words or phrases, small words, small phrases, spoken over you and spoken into your life that have shaped your life in incredible ways. Right? So think, think about the power behind these phrases. These are just phrases. They're just simple, small little phrases, but they are heavy with meaning and impact and have a lot of power in your life, right? So somebody says the words to you, you're hired. Two words. You're hired. Now that represents for you change of future, change of destiny, more resources, more influence, maybe a date finally. Like that represents like you're hired represents a lot of things. You're fired. 
someone says to you, I love you. Well, think about that. Think about the first time that somebody other than like your parents or like grandma like said to you, like somebody who you really wanted them to say, I love you to you, they finally said it to you. Or, the, or, the, or when you like had the person that you like, okay, this is the person I love when you said that to them. That's just three little words. I love you. That, that phrase has a lot of power behind it. What about the phrase, I'm leaving you? What about the phrase, I'm pregnant? Which can go either way, honestly. <laughs> what about the phrase, it's cancer? What about the phrase, I forgive you? They're just words. But they're powerful. They're powerful. You can dramatically shape your social standing with your words. You, you have a well-placed compliment. You can gain a new best friend, right? You compliment somebody on their outfit, right? You compliment somebody on, uh, hey, man, you did a great job in there. You compliment somebody like, hey, I can tell you're really working out hard or, hey, I really like your style or, hey, I like the music you listen to, whatever. Like some kind of compliment, right? You can start a new friendship. Might even get you a date, right? You could say something on the opposite end. You could say something very foolish and hurtful and you can destroy a friendship. Some of you have lost friendships over a sentence, What's interesting is that James moves on to a third illustration that brings this other little nuance, and I think it pushes the argument even, even further that the little can lead the large. Your, your tongue can get you a job, it can get you fired, it can get you a date, it can make a relationship end. Your tongue can direct the course of your life. And the little controls the big, and it can have disastrous consequences. Look what he, look what he says in verse 5. Verse 5, it says, So also... The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. If you're not careful, what James is trying to say, if you're not careful, the little will burn the whole thing down. Little campfires start huge forest fires. Fires that burn thousands of acres. There's a place, Joel and I, um, we hunt together sometimes. There's a place up in the White Mountain, up in uh, like Alpine, that's been burned by this huge, huge fire. And it's crazy how it has completely changed the landscape of, it's changed the landscape of the area. It changes the ecosystem of the area. It changes the topography of the area. It, It changes, it changes everything, right? Forest fires burn down buildings. They end businesses. They, people, people lose everything. People, there's loss of life. The tongue is small, but can do a little damage. Guys, imagine if you're on campus or if you're at work and there's a beautiful girl and she walks by and, you know, she's looking at you and she catches your eye, you catch her eye and, you, you, you know, you're walking by her and you're like, wow, she's like really beautiful and beautiful. <laughs> she's, she's, she's really good looking. And then she walks by, you know, and you're looking and, and then she says, Howdy. I don't, I don't know if that's a girl say. It's obvious I didn't have that happen to me a lot. But just imagine, imagine that that happens to you, right? That totally changes your day. You could have had, like, worst day ever up until that moment. That happens, you're like, 
Life is really good. Now imagine that happens like three different times. That's a great, that's a great day, right? Now imagine you're in class, you're at the gym or whatever, right? And you overhear people talking about you. And you kind of lean in and they're like totally bagging on you. They're making fun of the way you look or making fun of the way you're dressed or making fun of something. They're just completely like tearing you to shreds. Now, when you go home at the end of that day, what sticks out to you more? What do you remember more? What scenario goes over and over and over again in your mind? The tongue is powerful. It it can make you feel accepted. It can make you feel loved. It can make you feel approved. And it can make you feel worthless. As a husband, I can do um, a ton of damage to my wife with my words. In fact, there's a one-syllable word I can use and do a ton of damage. Fat. I'm not stupid enough to ever say that. (laughs) But seriously, I I I could wreck her with that. She could wreck me with that too, honestly, which is probably more appropriate. I can do a lot of damage with a careless word spoken. I can shape the way my kids see themselves with my words. Some of you still remember things your parents said to you when you were kids. And those things are still shaping your perception of of who you are and the world around you. When you look in the mirror, that careless word controls what you see. Because there's power in the tongue. This is what James is trying to get us to recognize. And some of you have habituated saying negative things, and that has made you a negative person. You're always saying negative things. You're always saying critical things. You're always saying grumbling and complaining things. And and because you talk like that all the time, it's actually made you a negative person. Words don't just affect the people who are hearing the words. They affect the people who are saying the words. And the tongue is not just powerful. It's one thing if it's just powerful. And, and we've, I think we've discovered, like, yeah, the tongue is powerful. James says in verse 6, get a load of this, it's actually perverse. Look at, look at verse 6, James chapter 3. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Tell us what you really mean, James. The tongue is set among our, our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Hellfire in your mouth. It's serious. The tongue is, the tongue is powerful. It's perverse. It's a fire. It's set on fire by hell. It's powerful, James says. It can control the whole course of your life, which makes it a huge problem that it's set on fire by hell. That's a problem. And, there, and, there's, and it's, something is desperately wrong with the way that we talk. And to, and to back up his point in verse 7, he gives us the, the, the reason. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, look, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James says, look, every animal can be tamed. And it's true. We got 
elephants in the circus and bears that ride bikes and killer whales that entertain our kids, right? Every animal can be, can be tamed, but we can't keep our mouth shut. What if for the next week you, you, you tried this? Okay, for the next week, don't complain or grumble. Don't brag about anything at all. Don't gossip or repeat bad information about somebody. Uh, don't make fun of somebody. Don't run somebody else down. Don't defend or excuse yourself no matter what. Always affirm other people. If I gave you that assignment, so okay, hey, next week, this is what we're all going to do. We came back together next Tuesday. Could any of us do it? Could, could, you, could you do it for an, an hour? Could, could, you go, could you go a whole day? Did you say if you're asleep? Could, could you go a whole day? Could you go a whole day and not say something negative? And here's what's so crazy. Even if you did, let's say, let's say you did, even if you did, in, in our culture and kind of like in your circles with your people and everything, people would look at you like a total weirdo even if you did. Like if, you, if people are kind of complaining about work, man, man, work sucks, our manager sucks, all this, and you're like, yeah, but God is good, right, guys? You know? If you're like, oh, I hate being single, being single sucks, I wish I had a date, you yeah, but we're never really single with Jesus, right, guys? I mean, people just look at you like, it's just weird. It's foreign. It's not, it's not even like a part of our, of our culture. Because we have so habituated talking negative. It is a regular habit of ours to talk negative, to grumble, to complain, to gossip, to tear each other down, to be critical. Because we can't control it. That's the point that James is trying to make. He's like, you cannot control your tongue. This passage kills me, honestly, and has been, like, killing me. I, I, um, for whatever reason, on Sunday, God had me speak to the church about lust. <laughs> and then tonight, he has me speak to the church about the way that you talk. So he, I think he's just trying to say, just so you remember, <laughs> you're a complete puke. Like, all right, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Proverbs 10 says, where there are many words, transgressions are unavoidable. Meaning, if you start talking, I guarantee you're going to sin. James says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And Psalm 140 is talking about their tongues are like serpents. When they speak, it's deadly. In Romans chapter 3, Paul is describing people who don't know God. And he quotes this psalm. He's like, look, they are like people who have poison under their tongue. He says the godless person, when they speak, they speak death. They say things that discourage, they bring negativity and hate into the system. And the problem is that we all do that. The tongue is powerful, it's perverted, and James says it shouldn't be that way with you. James is saying, look, people who have been converted, people who have been transformed by the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, people who have been radically changed by the grace of God, given to them by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he says, for you, if that's you, it shouldn't be this way. Look at verse 9 and 10 in James chapter 3. He says, he's talking about the tongue, he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
this is James' whole issue through the whole letter. He's like, look, I cannot stand people who claim one thing but live another. He says, don't talk about having faith or confidence in God, following Jesus, and not having the work of faith. He says, don't worship God and then make fun of people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, if you treasure God, treasure what he has made. James says, don't you think that it's going to bother God when you bless him and insult something that he made? Because he's not just saying, it's not just something that he made, it's something that's made in his likeness. Um, Jed and his wife Whitney had a baby three months ago, a beautiful little girl. If I went up to them and I was like, you know, Jed, Whitney, I've known you guys for a long time. I love you guys. I just consider you some of my closest friends. You guys are so great, but I hate your baby. (laughs) It is stupid. There is no way that they're going to be cool with that. Whitney would claw my face off, like right there. There is, there's no way that I could say that and they'd be like, man, that's just Paul. You know, it's cool. He did say, he did say that he loves us, you know. There is no way that they'd, they'd be okay with that. She's part of them. She, she looks like them. I, I cannot insult their daughter and not offend them. So listen, do you think that God is not offended when we do that to each other? When you, when you come in here and you lift your hands and you sing the songs and then you leave and you blow somebody up and you dig on somebody, you offend somebody, like, can, can you just stop for a second and look at that from God's perspective? How could we think that that does not offend him? And that's why James says, look, it should not be that way, brothers. The very fact that we exist in this moment is held together by the grace of God. The scripture says that. So that means that the breath that you have to fill your lungs is a gift from God. It means that your, your friendship with one another, your ability to communicate with one another is a gift from God. So when you talk to each other, any opportunity that you have to talk to each other is a total blessing. It's a total gift from God. And when you open your mouth and, and you use what's only yours because God allows it, and you, and you breathe out discouragement and you breathe out gossip and slander and complaints and poison and hellfire, James says that does not make any sense. It doesn't fit for you to be that blessed and not bless others. James says it just doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be that way. Verse 11, as he kind of ends this section. And I got to admit, it does end a little bit odd. He says, does a spring pour pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What he's saying there is nature cannot produce something naturally different. And he says, if you've been made a child of God through the grace of Jesus Christ, what should come out of you is grace. If God made you alive, you should speak out life. Because James says, if you're not, something is wrong. I think it's kind of interesting that James just drops the conversation there. Because the next next section kind of goes on to a totally different thought. 
So, so what are we supposed to do with, with all that? If God made you something different, if God made you something different, and if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the, the scripture and the gospel is very clear that that's exactly what's happened. In fact, the Bible says you're a, you're a brand new creation. So if that's true, then that means that something d- different should come out. Blessing should come out of you, not curse. If you've been made into a fresh spring, fresh water should come out. Now, you've got to be very clear because this can, be, this can be confusing with James. He's not saying you need to produce good fruit and then you'll be a good tree. That is not the gospel. That is not what James is saying at all. He's not saying, look, you start producing good fruit, you'll be a good tree. He's saying because God made you a good tree, produce good fruit. That's what James is saying to us. So the, the point is not just, hey, everybody, I hope you feel real bad about the way you talk. Let's just all start talking better to each other. Let's just start being nicer with the words that we use. That's not, that's not the point. Because James already said, look, you can't control it. So this is not a message where everyone should just leave like, gosh, I really got to watch my mouth. That's not what James is saying. He already said, look, it's super powerful. You can't control it. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is talking to this group of Pharisees, and the Pharisees were kind of like the religious elite of the day, the, and um, they were the they were religious leaders in, the, in that community, and they're all mad about Jesus and Jesus' people because they're eating they're eating food with unclean hands, and the Pharisees say, "Look, you're eating food with unclean hands, and that makes you ceremonially unclean." And Jesus says, "You know what? That's just dumb because." Whatever you eat goes in you and then kind of eventually comes out of you. And he says, what you eat doesn't matter. But in in verse 8 in Matthew chapter 15, he says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And that's what defiles a person. In Luke chapter 6, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what James and I think Jesus is saying here too is, look, I'm not going to tell you to watch your mouth. I'm going to tell you to watch your heart. Because what happens in your heart affects what happens out of your mouth. When you've been made good, good will come out. And how are you made good? Augustine talks about this section. He says, notice that James said no human being can tame the tongue so that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the grace of God. That's the only way that this can happen. This is not a message, and James is not advocating, nor is Jesus saying, look, you guys just need to really try harder. No, he's saying if anything good ever comes out of your mouth or anything good ever comes out of you, it's because by the grace of God, something good has been put inside of you. Can you control your tongue? James says no human can. Thankfully, we have more than just a human to cry out to who is on our side. In John chapter 14, Jesus describes himself as living water. The water that he gives you becomes a spring of life in you. He will not only satisfy you, but he will satisfy you so much that something will overflow in you and bless others. When you come to trust God, he gives you the Holy Spirit, and it's like this fresh spring of water in you. So when James is saying, look, that fresh spring should overflow fresh water as blessing unto others. So it's not just, hey, everybody, clean up your language. You start by asking, do I know Jesus, and do I treasure him? Start there. 
If, if, if this message, if you're like, man, I want to make this apply to my life, or if I want to I kind of take this home, I want to use, start with those questions. Do I know Jesus? Do I treasure Jesus? Now, how do I stir up those affections? How do I stir up the affection for Jesus? James, James gives us a clue. He says, look, you can't bless and curse. It, can't, it doesn't work like that. He says, don't curse people and bless God your Father. Why? Why do you say negative things? Why, why, do you, why do you dig down on other people? Why do you rag on other people? Why do you cut other people down? Is it pride? Right? Because I ultimately, because I want to make myself feel better. I, I want to fill a, a void. So e- even when we get around and we start talking negatively about things or we're complaining or grumbling a thing, like we just, we want to make ourselves feel better. Why do, I, why do I rag on you? Why do I make fun of you? Why do I try to defend myself? Why do I make excuses for my, 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 myself? Because I, I want to be okay. I want to be okay. I want to make myself feel okay. I want to make myself feel better. What would happen if you found out that you're already okay? That as a son or daughter of God, you are already loved. You are already treasured. You are already prized by majesty. And so the insecurity that makes me feel like I got to bag on somebody else so that I feel better. I got to lie about myself so that I feel better so that other people accept me. I got to complain or be negative about that so that I feel better or so that somebody else accepted me or so that I can fit into this conversation. Whatever, all like the slimy, twisted ways that we talk the way that we do, the reasons that we talk the way that we do. What if you found out that, that you don't have to fight to save yourself, that, that you don't have to be insecure, that you, you don't have to cut somebody down? But, but what if you could just say, you know what, I am okay and totally free to just bless you. I'm totally secure in who I am in Christ. I'm totally secure as a son or a daughter of the Most High God that I can just bless you. I can just encourage you. I can just speak words of life and words of love and words of hope to you because I know how much I'm loved. So I can speak those words of love over you. How crazy would it be if we were a community that actually did this? There's, I don't know, maybe 140-something people in the room, right? What if 140 of us, or let's just say 125 because 15 of you aren't paying attention, but 125 of, of us, we just said, you know what? I'm just going to believe what God says about me. And I'm just going to go out into the world. I'm going to go to my classes. I'm going to go to my place of work. I'm going to go to my apartment complex or wherever I live. I'm just going to, when I go out, I'm just going to speak words of blessing and love and hope and encouragement to people. And we came back next week and we all did that. Could you imagine the kind of stories that we'd have? Can you imagine the kind of interactions that we would have with people? Can you imagine the kind of opportunity that we would have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine like the amount of hurting people who would feel safe enough to come and to share like their disappointment in life and their struggles and their hurts and how we were able to in turn speak the hope and the living water of Jesus in those moments? Could you just imagine that? Hmm. Wonder, wonder if James had that in mind. How do we do this? Turn your heart towards your father. 
and say, God, look, I am tempted all the time to tell people how awesome I am. I am tempted all the time to make myself look better so that I feel better about myself. And if that means making somebody else look worse than me, then that's what I'm going to do. Confess that. And say, God, help me to see that I'm yours. God, help me to see that I am secure because of the grace of God seen in Jesus. And as you begin to see that, your father is the one, as you begin to see that your father is the one who's taking care of you, it will change the way that you speak. When you begin to rest in the security that you have in your sonship or daughtership, and the as God is your father, it will change the way that you speak. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak life. This is not about promises to change our behavior, but it's asking God ultimately to mend our broken hearts in him. Let's pray. God, it is so clear as we work through James, um, God, just how much we, we need you. And um, tonight is just so blatantly obvious. I mean, James even says, look, nobody can do this. No human can tame their tongue. Um, but God, that does not leave us in a hopeless place. In fact, um, God, it's so encouraging to me because it just reinforces how powerful you are in our lives. God, for us to be able to live like this and God, for us to be able to, uh, to speak in this way, God, is, is only an indication of our dependence on you, of, of our realizing our desperate need for you, God, and, and the joyful place of coming to you and resting in you and who we are. And so... Um, God, I do, I pray for us, God, that we would look like this, but God, I pray for me, um, God, that, that you might so work in my heart and life, God, that I would be like this, and, and um, God, I, I just love the, the, the call of, of James, God, for us to express our need for you, and God, come to that glorious place, that incredible place, God, of realizing that all that we need is found in you, um, God, and all that we are to be truly is found in you. And so, Jesus, um, take us to the place. Draw us near to you, I pray. It's in your name. Amen.